Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. So there you have it. Uh, there's your shameless plug for next week. Um, come back to hear about their, their journey and their stories. Um, see some pictures of what they've experienced the last week. They're there until, uh, I think they come back on Wednesday or Thursday this week, so they're there for a few more days yet. Um, even as we speak, I'm sure they're gathered with a, a body um, locally there and worshiping this morning. Um, as are Christians all around the world. Um, Sundays are so cool because they're our weekly reminder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we worship on Sundays, if you didn't know that. That's why we changed from the, the Sabbath ritual of, of our Jewish ancestors, where they Sabbathed on the, se- the seventh day of the week, which was Saturday, and we started worshiping on Sundays, is because Jesus resurrected on a Sunday. And so every single Sunday we get together, we celebrate Jesus is the resurrected King, and that he's not dead. And that death, therefore, then has no power over us, because we are now co-heirs with Christ into life eternal. And for no other reason, that's why we're here today. Because Jesus is alive. And we get to be alive because of that. Well, hey, th- we are in the, our second week of the Addicted series. And um, if you were here last week, well, actually, let me, before, we, before we get to that, um, anybody take up Stephen's challenge last week um, at the end of his sermon? Um, he challenged us to take five minutes a day to sit. And to produce nothing. Right? Last week we talked about how we're addicted to busyness. And if you saw the the addicted title and you you saw the promotions through wherever, you might have seen them um, out in the foyer before the the service last week. You might have been thinking like Inigo Montoya from the Princess Bride film. Like, they're using that word, but it doesn't mean what they think it means. They're using it incorrectly. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, is that we do culturally have an issue. The American culture has an addiction to busyness. Where we want to fill our lives with everything we could possibly do, because we want to make sure we don't miss out on something. And not only do we fill our lives, but we fill others' lives for them. You're not busy enough, here's something else for you to do. We fill our kids' lives with stuff because we don't want them to miss out on the transformational or the growth opportunities from playing in sports or being a part of this club or doing this or that. And none of that's inherently bad. The things we do aren't inherently bad because we're trying to do good things. We're trying to grow and develop and to be well-rounded and balanced and mature people. But when we create such a busy, hectic life and we have no room to breathe, we forget how to rest. And when we forget how to rest, we're liable to get hurt, to get burned out, to get tired, 
to be vulnerable. A lot of bad things happen when we neglect our rest and we neglect taking care of ourselves. So I, I was just curious if anybody took up the challenge. Um, that's a, a difficult challenge, the five minutes to produce nothing. No TV on. You're not listening to music. You're not reading the devotional. Your devotion time is something separate than this time. This time is a time to literally just sit and do nothing. And if you took him up on the challenge, even a day, um, because you probably quit after the day if you tried it once, after about 15 seconds, you were probably thinking, this is the longest five minutes of my entire life. Excruciatingly painful. I'm wasting all this time. I could be doing something much more important right now than sitting and doing nothing. And then the guilt seeps in. And the shame of wasting time, doing nothing, producing nothing. And this is precisely the reason why we're having this conversation. Because we don't know how to rest well, by and large. Yeah, <laughs> that's good resting right there. <laughs> Taking a little nap, siesta. Uh, but by and large, we, we don't know how to rest. And we don't do it well. And so that's why we're, we're in this series. That's why we're talking about this. This cult of busyness. This addiction that the general American population has because it's been embedded in our culture for so long. That if you don't do it yourself, if you're not busy, if you're not producing, if you're not out there working, you're lazy. And really what we've done is we've created an enemy that wasn't the enemy. See, so much in the Christian life is meant to be lived in attention. We avoid extremes. The Christian life does. We don't go all this way and we don't go all this way. We, we live in the middle because it's in the, in the middle and the balance of life that we see God a little bit more clearly. Because we stop alienating those who are the other way and we start seeing that God's a lot bigger than just my personal perspective and vantage point on the rest of the world. And so when we talk about busyness, we're not saying that you shouldn't be busy, so you should be lazy. We're not saying that at all. Laziness is, is clearly spoken against in the scriptures just as much as busyness is. We shouldn't be lazy. But we should learn to rest. To work for the glory of God and find time to rest to take care of ourselves. Nigo Montoya We'll see him some more later on. If you're not familiar with the film, The Princess Bride. Inigo Montoya is one of my favorite characters. He might be my favorite character in the movie. Um, because he's one of the most complex characters in the film. And we don't think about him that way. We don't think about him as a complex character. He seems rather two-dimensional. He's kind of cut and dry. But there's so much going on. And like I said, we'll get back to him. That's your teaser for the rest of the sermon. That's, that's so you don't stay awake. This is not the time to rest. This is the time to focus. Rest later. I'm just kidding. You can rest. You can fall asleep. I won't tell Stephen. So, so we're in this series, and we're talking about addiction. 
Um, and, and one of the verses that, as Stephen and I, we frequently get together when we prepare um, our sermon series is together, and we kind of lay out the calendar and kind of try, try to say, you know, where does God want us to, to take us all? What, what's the journey that we're supposed to be headed on this quarter, this semester, this, this year? Um, and so as we do that periodically, we sit down and we talk about these. We develop ideas or concepts or things that stick out. Sometimes it's a, it's a theme verse that kind of sticks with us um, as we prepare for that. And so the, the one, um, and I don't know, I was serving upstairs last week, so I don't know if Stephen mentioned it in his sermon or not. Um, last week, but the one that's kind of stuck out for oh, going the wrong way um, for this addicted series is First Corinthians chapter seven, verses twenty nine through thirty one, particularly from the Message uh, translation or version of the Bible. Um, this has been the theme verse that's kind of stuck out um, for us as we've prepared for it, and this is what it says: I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. So don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Keep it simple. In marriage, grief, joy, whatever. Even in ordinary things, your daily routines of shopping and so on, deal as sparingly as possible with the things the world thrusts on you. This world, as you see it, is on its way out. Deal as sparingly as possible with the things the world thrusts on you. Pay attention to this. Don't forget this. You're not doing this? The world's constantly telling us the things we need to do to be good people or productive people. And this, Eugene Peterson wrote this version of the Bible out of the message. And, and what he does with, with his scripture, if you're not familiar with the messages, is he doesn't, um, like most translations, he doesn't go back to the original language and try to decipher the exact word and, and develop the context. He's, he's not a linguist um, doing a, a significant word study. He's trying to get at the theme or the overarching idea and then break it down simply for us. So guys like me can understand what the scripture's saying. And this is one of the places where he breaks it down. He says, this is what it's talking about. This, this passage, this theme here is saying, don't waste your time pursuing things that aren't bringing glory to God. Deal sparingly. Find the times to get away from it. Simple life. Keep it simple. In marriage, grief, joy, Whatever. Keep it simple. We complicate our lives. We make it so that we've got to do everything. And we're so busy. So, like I said, as, as we were preparing for the sermon series, uh, I often, too, um, begin to ponder and think in my head. And, and I'm re- reflecting on the series, particularly when I know I'm going to be preaching. So, like, I knew I was preaching this Sunday. And so I began to think two, three months ago um, about what it is the Lord might be having for me to say, or, or how, how, how are we going to get somewhere? Where are we going to take this? And so um, a lot of that time is spent kind of self-reflecting. What do I need to hear? What do I need to learn out of this message? Because believe it or not, um, these messages uh, that I prepare and Stephen prepares to preach, you might feel like it's preached to you. A lot of times, 
most of the content is to me because I don't get this right a lot of times because man it's really easy to find things to do because I'm a pastor after all so everything I do is for God so man I I gotta stay busy because it's all God's work it's all important it's really easy to justify it right and so as I began to internalize and think about this and and contemplate it one of the things that came to mind and I, I reflected on a little bit was one of the most common things that I say in response to somebody who says hey how are you doing is I say oh you know staying busy Maybe you say something similar. That's kind of my go-to response when I don't really want to lie and say I'm doing good because I'm not really doing good. So, so this is my workaround for it. I don't have to lie. I'm just, oh, you know, keeping busy. As if that's some kind of badge of honor. As if because I'm busy, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm set um, because I've got a full plate. I don't have time to think or reflect on anything. Like I said, the opposite isn't what we're going after here in this, this series, what we're talking about, about being busy and finding time to rest. We're not saying go all the, the other direction and become lazy. God doesn't want us to be lazy. He wants us to be productive, and that's why we need rest. That's why we need to be mindful about how busy we are, because the busier we are, the more easily we get distracted, and we miss opportunities for things. That might otherwise be coming our way. We're to be doing the work of the Lord as he's asked us to do it. But not to be busy to the point that we neglect ourselves or those we love. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it gets really complicated. Is because, like I said, we can find so many reasons to justify being busy. I've got a Bible study. I've got, oh, I'm taking this person through a discipleship thing. I'm, oh, I'm preaching this week, so I've got to prepare my m- message. I've uh, uh, choir. Uh, We've got to do choir practice. So I've got all these, all these important things that I'm doing. Oh, in the meantime, I've got to make sure that my kids are, are here and, and here and here because if they don't do those three things, then they're going to be behind everybody else. All, the, all their peers will be ahead of them, and they'll have all of these skills that my kids don't have. They haven't developed because... I didn't take the time to let them do the things they needed to do because they weren't on the right sports team or the right activity or whatever. A lot of reasons to justify it. But we need to find the balance. The tension between the two. Where we don't overwork ourselves and we're not lazy. But we're right where God wants us to be. Fulfilling His call on our lives and the purpose He has for us without neglecting others. Busyness is not a badge of honor. It's a scheme of the evil one. Busyness is not a badge of honor. It's a scheme of the evil one. Satan uses that to keep us distracted. Because when we're busy, it's hard to be faithful. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40 says this. Jesus was uh, at another moment where the Pharisees were trying to trap him. This is getting towards the end of Jesus' life here on earth. 
And the Pharisees have been riled up plenty of times about this Jesus guy. Continuing to go around talking about how he's the son of God. And how he's come to save people. And all this kind of stuff. He's king. All, all this stuff. And so the Pharisees come to him one more time trying to trap him. Trying to get him to, to say something that a Jewish teacher would not say. And so that they can arrest him. And they can, can stop this conspiracy from spreading. And so they come to him and they say, teacher... Which command in the law is the greatest? Now, what they're referring to is the Ten Commandments. Don't kill, don't covet, so on and so forth. They're saying, which one's the most important? There's ten of them. Which one is like, that's it, you've got to do that one. Like, the other ones you should kind of do, but this one you have to do. What's the most important? Jesus said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And then he said this. And the second, wait, hold on. We said one. What's the greatest one? Jesus says, but the second, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. All of the law. So now Jesus is, is expanding it out. Because what the teachers of the law were saying was, of the Ten Commandments, what's the most important? Top, let's, let's sort these out here because Moses just got them on a tablet. This wasn't like a, an importance order. This was just like they were all here. So like what's the most important one? And Jesus says this isn't just about the Ten Commandments. This is about every law, every rule, every regulation, everything you've ever lived in a construction of society. All of it. All of it depends on these two things. Love God, love others. All good law falls under these two things. Love God and love others. And if we're so busy with our lives, trying to do everything we can possibly do, it's easy to forget one of these two. It's easy to forget to love God or to love others well because we're so busy trying to be faithful, trying to take care of things that we don't actually have time to love well. It's important to note, too, that Jesus absolutely did put God as your first priority in your life, above everything else, above your work, above your friendships, above spouses, above children. Everything else is beneath God in your priority list. But what's so interesting is that he doesn't just say, and the second is love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the second command is like it. Meaning, it's of equal importance. Meaning, if you love others well, you are loving God. And if you are loving God, you will love others. You can't separate them. You can't divorce the two. They have to go together. Because it's integral to who God is. God is love. Therefore, if we love God, we must love other people. Because he loves other people. And if we love other people, we're loving God. And so when we're busy, we're so busy, that we don't have time to sit and think let alone 
have a conversation with somebody who's hurting, dealing with something, walking through some kind of pain. And we say things like, I, I wish I could spend more time with you. I wish I could, I wish I could go to the hospital and, and visit with them for a little bit, but I'm, I've just got so much to do. Maybe this weekend. And then we start playing being hopeful. Maybe this weekend I'll have some time. Saturday, I've got, I've got a couple hours open up on Saturday. What usually happens to those couple hours that are open on Saturday? They usually get full along the week somewhere. We're so busy trying to be faithful that we neglect the most important things sometimes. Love God and love others. And God will sort the rest of it out. If you frequent um, social media, Facebook particularly, um, you've probably seen some of those videos come through, and maybe you've even shared them before, the, uh, the life hack videos. 25 things to do to sort out your closet, to make more space. 10 things to do to organize your kitchen better so that you've got more counter space, right? We've, we've seen these videos, and, and there's TV shows that are devoted to it, to these life hacks about creating opportunities to manipulate your circumstances and have a better outcome. If you're not familiar with the term life hacks, it's, that's okay. It's a relatively new term. Did a little research on it. I was curious where it came about. Um, 2004, at a tech conference, a journalist by the name of Danny O'Brien coined this term life hacks. And what he coined it for was, was these programming, computer programmers who, who would do all of their coding on the computer. And, and if you know nothing about computers, this all sounds crazy and silly to you. Um, but, but they put on all these letters and numbers, right, on the computer. And it tells the computer what it's supposed to do, even what color it's supposed to have display. And all of these numbers and letters and, and, and uh, characters all mean something. They all have important significance. Now, when you go to the store and you buy a software like your basic Windows computer, it comes with certain things just how they are. And it allows you to manipulate some things. Maybe you've changed the background picture on your, on your desktop before. That's a pretty common one. We, a lot of us have done that. We change it to a picture of our family or, or some nice scenic picture or something like that. Or if it's me, it's superheroes. Um, that's just what it is. Um, but... What these computer programmers were doing that Danny O'Brien was talking about was when the software doesn't allow you to do the thing you want to do, there's still a way to kind of make it do that. You've got to hack into it, and you've got to manipulate it. And so once you've, you've changed this one character in, the, in this long line of X, C, T, 2, 4, 3, 1, 5, now you change one of those letters and put something else in there, it makes it do something different. And so you work around it. By manipulating it. And so this, this term life hacks came about in 2004. And it's developed since then into beyond just technology. It's, it's every part of our lives like I was talking about. All the stuff we do in our homes. Um, because I don't know if you're like me. Um, the kitchen that you have is always too small. Um, doesn't matter how big your kitchen is. It's always too small. There's not enough counter space. Um, your closets are always too small. There's not enough room in the closets. Um, because there's always stuff that's sitting out somewhere. Um, and so these life hacks came about. But here's the thing about life hacks. 
Life hacks are temporary solutions to permanent problems. You haven't actually changed anything. You're just working around the circumstances that you're, you find yourself in. Now I understand, and I'm not saying you need to go, if your counter space is too small in your kitchen, that you need to sell your home and go buy a, a home with a bigger kitchen. Because that's a pretty major life transition, life move. But when we're talking about things that we do to manipulate the situation that we have in our lives so that we can live with it, we haven't actually changed anything. We've just adapted to the circumstances that lie before us. Our counter space isn't any bigger. Our closet isn't any larger. We've just manipulated the way we deal with it so that we can finally not freak out every second we look at it because it's, it's always too cramped, always too small, whatever the case may be. Temporary solutions to permanent problems. What we're after and what the Christian life offers isn't temporary solutions to permanent problems. It's permanent solutions to permanent problems. We want to actually fix it. We want to actually solve the issue. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than on Christ. That's a good verse. Be careful. Be on your guard. How easy is it to be careful if you're always busy? When you're constantly doing, it's hard to be mindful of everything else that's going around you, right? Sometimes you need to take a pause and assess your situation a little bit. Assess what's going on around you. It says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, through the things of this world. The things that we've developed to help us be okay with the life that we have. To help us settle for the cards we've been dealt. It says, don't settle for that. Don't settle for the things of this world rather than on Christ. And what it doesn't say, but what it's implying is, instead settle on Christ. Settle on Him. Because He actually has the power to do something over that situation. Don't be so busy that you miss out on it. To be fair, at times we do need these life hack situations. Like I said, it's not realistic to say you need to go sell your home because your kitchen counter space is a little bit too small. Um, There's things in life that are like that. But there's a lot more in life that we try to life hack around that can be changed, that can be altered. And we just would rather try to solve it by other means than actually fix it. Because fixing it takes a little bit more time. And we're too busy for that. It takes a little bit more patience 
and I've got things to do. It means you've got to sit in the uncomfortableness. Notice how long it's taking me to say some of these phrases, and you're like, will he just get on with it? You've got to sit, and you've got to wait. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. Because the more time I take in your sermon today, the less time you have to go eat lunch and do other things you want to do the rest of the day. Until you all just start storming out while I'm in the middle of speaking. We don't like it. But that's how transformation happens. That's how your life becomes actually and truly different. Is by allowing God to be with you in the midst of the the awkwardness and the slowness and the seemingly nothing is happeningness of life. Because God is working through it. Simplify your life. Put the work away. Now, here's a confession moment. As I said, I've, I've been reflecting on my own life a little bit. And one of the things I said when um, we came here to this church, I told my wife, I said, here's, here's what I'm planning to do. Um, I'm never going to bring work home. Yeah. I'm never going to bring work home. It's always going to stay at the church. Like, and I told her, like, there might be times when I get a phone call and it's an emergency. And she's like, yeah, that's, you know. But I'm like, I'm not going to bring work. I'm not going to work on a sermon at home. I'm not going to work on uh, graphics at home. I'm not going to do any of this, this administrative stuff at home. And I, I did that for a week. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. And then in creeps the work and the busyness and the life. And what happens in the midst of all that is, is I now say, well, I need to work on this uh, real quick. So I'm going to go in the back room here. Uh, you keep the kids busy for a little bit. And I'm going to. Meanwhile, my four-year-old is getting older. My one-year-old is not a one-year-old anymore. He's. 18 months. He's 24 months. And I'm so busy trying to do the things that God has called me to do that I'm missing out on the things that God has blessed me with. The things He's already given me. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived by human tradition, the elements of this world. Do you remember that, um, that classic I Love Lucy episode? Vitamita Vegemin? Anybody? This is one of my favorite I Love Lucy episodes because it's just hilarious. And it, and it falls into all the tropes of the show. Lucy wants to be in the show. Ricky says no. She does it anyway. And shenanigans happen as a result. And so the promise of this Vitamita Vegemin is that this is a new bottle. You see it in her hand there on the screens. This is a new bottle of, of this magic elixir that will give you all of your daily dosage needs 
for all of your vitamins, meat, vegetables, and minerals. Hence the name, Vitamita Vegemin. All of them. So you don't need to eat anything the rest of the day because you've got all your meat and vegetables and, and vitamins all right in there. All you need is a spoon of this and, and the tagline there for the product, the answer to all your problems. And as Lucy begins to uh, go over and rehearse for this, she's, she's take after take after take. She's trying to remember all the lines to it. And it's kind of a tongue twister, right? Because the product is kind of complicated to say. And what she doesn't pay careful attention to, she notices it. Um, the alcohol content was pretty significant in this product. And so as she does take after take after take, she begins to get drunk. And then her words are slurring. And she can't remember anything. And she's saying everything mixed up in wrong ways. And she's falling all over the place. And it's just a funny, funny scene in TV sitcoms. It's a classic. But what's so interesting about Vitamita Vegemin, and what might be even the funniest part, is the subtleness of it. That there are things in our lives today that we treat the same way as Vitamita Vegemin. We buy into the promise that this will solve all of your problems. This is the thing you need to fill your life and the gaps. Now, sometimes it's, it's uh, more concrete. It is buying things, right? But for the purposes of what we're talking about, sometimes it's just filling your life with more stuff to do. And this will solve my problems. This will, this will give me my purpose. This will fulfill my desires. This will, this will allow me to be who I was created to be. And what we're doing is we're just filling our stuff with more fluff that's not actually doing anything. It's not actually benefiting us. And the longer and longer we do it, much like Lucy, the longer and longer we put it in our bodies and we don't take care of ourselves and we think it's helping, we think it's working, we think it's, it's fixing everything out, we don't realize that we've now become drunk. Spiritually. We're no longer of a sober mind. We can't see the world clearly anymore. Because we've allowed the world to seep into our brains where God wanted to speak to us. We have this obsession. Filling about every hole, every place, every gap of our schedule and of our lives. And this is where we come back to our friend Inigo Montoya. Now, like I said, if you're familiar with the film, you know who Inigo Montoya is. If you're not familiar with the film, Inigo Montoya is on a mission to find the six-fingered man who killed his father. That's his life's purpose. And so he travels around the countryside, and he, he does a little mercenary work here or there. He's, he's a guy for hire because he needs to eat while he's doing this. But he's focused on finding the six-fingered man. He runs into our hero, and, and they fight, and they're, they're on opposing t sides at one point, and then they kind of become friends. And long story short, I'm going to spoil the movie for you a little bit. The good guy wins. The bad guy loses, and the bad guy all along was the six-fingered man. And so Inigo Montoya says this towards the end of the film. He says, I've been in the revenge business for so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. 
Maybe that doesn't hit you because you're not revenge folk, right? We're not vengeful people. I've been so busy for so long. Now that I'm not, I don't know what to do with myself. And now if, if you're on uh, the younger end of the spectrum in this room, fellows back there, myself, culture tells us, well, now's your time to work, to do, to produce, to create. Those are all good things, right? I'm talking about that tension, that balance. But one of the things that happens, and I've seen it happen because I've seen it in relatives and family members. I see it in the military. When people come to the end of that time to produce, to create, they often find themselves very displeased with their life. Because everything they've been told and everything they've built their life on was doing. You know, one of the loneliest places um, that I, I just remember it, growing up even, just visiting military posts during the week and going to like the food court. There's all these veterans sitting around there. And I asked my dad one time, why are all these veterans sitting around the food court? Like, they could go anywhere else. And he kind of gave the, well, you know, the tax break, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So they saved 17 cents on their cheeseburger today. Woohoo. But underlying that is this other issue that is plaguing them and plaguing their life is that they feel like they're worthless. They feel like they don't have any value or any purpose anymore because now they can't do. They're not busy. They can't do the things they used to do. And so now they don't have value because their value was based on that. My value was based on me being the commander of these troops, and now that I'm not a commander, I don't have any value or purpose anymore. We see this in the classic Christmas film, The White Christmas, the one where it was post-World War II, and the general has gone, and he's, he's created this hotel, but he's, he's not really happy with this hotel that he has. And the business has kind of fallen apart, and so these entertainers that were in his troupe decided to put on a show. But one of the taglines, one of the things that um, Bing Crosby says when he's on the TV program to, to rally the troops to get all these people here for this big show so that they can show their support to this general that they love so much, he says, what do you get for a general? When he stops being a general. What do you do? When your whole life is about being busy. And you stop being busy. Because all of us at some point. Will stop being busy. We'll stop being busy either because we want to. Or because the world makes us. Because we can't be busy anymore. Physically. And so if our lives are based on this idea that if I'm not producing, if I'm not creating, if I'm not being busy and filling every moment of gap of my time, we're going to find ourselves pretty displeased at some point in our lives. And moreover, we're going to find ourselves wishing for days 
ago, yesteryear, when we should be delighting in the day that the Lord has created for us a new today. What lies before me is the greatest joy. The best is yet to come. But we dwell on the past because we've created such a busy culture in our minds. And we forget how to rest. And we find value in things that don't have a lot of value. That we leave sad. The peace of God can be found in our rest. I'm getting towards the end here. The um, church father, long, long time ago, a guy by the name of Augustine of Hippo, said this about our relationship to God. He said, For you, God, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You ever been restless? Your body's just been restless. And you can't be comfortable. And you're maybe even in bed and trying to go to sleep at night, but you're just restless. You can't. It's, it's, it's not right. You're not comfortable. You can't get in the zone. You can't doze off. You're exhausted, but you're just so restless that you just can't get comfortable for a minute. And what Augustine noted and what he realized was that's how we're going to be. When we find our rest in anything other than God, we find our purpose in anything other than God. And on the flip of that, when we rest in God, God gives us rest. When we rest in God, God gives us rest. The peace of God can be found in our rest, not in our busyness. You don't find peace in busyness. It's not there. You find peace and rest. Our work should be good and should bring glory to God, but we cannot do that if we neglect our need for rest. And this is, this is where we're headed for the rest of this series. We've got one more week in the Addicted series. Next week, Stephen and Amy will be here talking about Cuba, so we'll pause this series, and then we'll pick up the following week, the last week of January, to finish up talking about rest and peace. And the gift that God has to offer us in the midst of all that. Now this doesn't mean you have to wait till then to experience rest. Because there's not a magic formula or a magic uh, equation that you've got to crack. There's not a life hack for it. You don't have to manipulate the code of your lives. You just have to make some, ch- some choices and some decisions. So I'm going to leave you with the same challenge that Stephen left you with last week. Five minutes a day. Sit. Do nothing. Nothing. Don't play with your kids. So parents, you might have to wait till your kids go to bed. I know this is difficult. It's hard for us. Our kids are always on us 24 hours a day. Don't play with your kids. Don't scroll on your phone. Don't listen to music. Don't have the TV on. Don't pet your dog. Don't pet your cat. Just sit. Do nothing. Bring nothing to anyone else. And just sit And let God come to you. I guarantee if you do this, 
God will speak to you. I don't guarantee a lot. Because I don't like to play that game with God. God does what God wants to do. But this is such a truth of Scripture. That if you find your rest in God, God will come to you. So I challenge you this week to try this. And live in the uncomfortableness. And when you do the first day and you sit there for a minute and a half and you say, I can't do this anymore, I'm done. And you go and you're busy the rest of the day. Next day, come back to it and say, all right, going to beat that minute and a half today. We're going for two minutes. Just do it. Embrace the awkward. Live into the uncomfortableness and allow God to bring peace to you in a way that you don't even imagine yet. By quieting yourself before him. Sit, listen, and produce nothing. Five minutes a day. That's your challenge. It's a hefty challenge. Seems small at one end, but it's a big challenge on the other end. And with that, would you stand please? Father God, I often find myself seeing prayers of just longing to quiet my soul before you and listen to you, God. And the truth of the matter is, is there's a lot of reasons that I have to not sit and be quiet before you. Because I'm, I've got this self-inflated idea about the stuff that I'm doing. That somehow the things I'm doing are more important than me sitting at your feet and listening to you. And so, God, this week, as, as we've been challenged to sit at your feet for five minutes a day, listening to you and doing nothing else, that, God, you embolden us and you strengthen us to do that, to sit in the uncomfortableness, to set a timer and not move until that timer goes off and allow you to speak and allow us to experience a peace that we don't even realize how desperately we need it. God, may your peace be the thing that we're after. And once we've experienced it, may we spread that peace to other people. May we share it. Because others need it so desperately. To understand that God's peace speaks into the midst of the busyness and the chaos. So be with us. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.